Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. First, it was his national security advisor, then his campaign manager, then his deputy campaign manager. Now, Robert Mueller and the FBI raid the offices of Donald Trump's personal attorney. It is closing in on the Oval Office. Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, April 10. How about it? So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. Here from our nation's capital, reaching out to you all over this great land of ours with the news of the day. It is huge news in something that is unprecedented. Uh, in the history of the FBI and the history of uh, private attorney-client relationships, uh, the FBI getting a warrant to seize documents, including documents on the $150,000 payment by Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's personal attorney, to porn star Stormy Daniels. They raided his Michael Cohen's yesterday, early yesterday, his home, his office, at Rock Center, and his hotel room at the Lowe's Regency Hotel in New York. A clean sweep, and Donald Trump says it is outrageous and is nothing more than an attack on our country. That's certainly uh, number one of what we're going to be talking about today with all of you. So you want to join in right now with your comments on Twitter. As we walk through the news of the day, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. There is uh, a few other stories, of course. So, but first, this is a full court press. Yes, all the really big stories happening right right. here, Bill. Uh, Well, uh, the world's busiest airport has been announced. It was announced by the Airports Council International Trade Group. They take a look at the uh, passenger travel in the year 2017, and the busiest airport in the world is? Atlanta. Atlanta is correct, Bill. Atlanta is the busiest airport in the world. Number two is Beijing Capital Airport, uh, and the third place is Dubai. Uh, number, f- number four was Tokyo, Hanada's Airport, and? 
Number five, right here. right here in America, oh, no. LAX. LAX. O'Hare oh. was number six. Uh-huh. O'Hare was okay. number six. Yeah. A very, very good guess. Um, <laughs> so that is it's interesting to point out how many are here in America. They also point out that in the top ten were a couple of other uh, American airports, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Denver, uh, and Las Vegas, or uh, De- Denver, Charlotte, and Las Vegas, also in the top 20. Las Vegas? In the top 20. Wow. Yeah, 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 oh. which I didn't really see that coming. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's baseball season, Bill, believe it or not, but... And that's one last night. Thank God thank they God broke they... a five-game losing streak. Oh God. Well, the Twins and Mariners had a game on Sunday, but... It was postponed because it was snowing. It's not supposed to snow during baseball games. That's not how this works. This year. The, yeah, this year is a different year. The Twins were supposed to host the Mariners, but as I mentioned, they had to postpone the game because of snow. The game will be made up on May 14th as part of a doubleheader. And congratulations are in order to our Tammy friend, Duckworth. Senator Tammy Duckworth. Absolutely. Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois delivered her second daughter uh, yesterday, making her the very first U.S. senator to give birth while in office. Her daughter, whose name is Miley Pearl Bowlesby, Bowlesby, after her husband, Brian Bowlesby's great aunt, uh, she was the, the great aunt, was an Army officer and a nurse who served in World War II, so they named it the, the uh, daughter after her. Big, big, big shoes to fill there. I know. Very, very nice. She's a great, great senator, uh, Tammy Duckworth. A real tribute to the American people and to the people of Illinois. Uh, we were with her at the March for Our Lives. Yeah. Uh, in in a, in a wheelchair. Nice. Uh, up right up front, and uh, and she was in great spirits. Had her daughter with her, the other daughter. Right. With her. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Things uh, just got a lot more interesting for her. So yeah, making <laughs> making history. Yeah. Well, that's the thing we've talked about. Like, there's really she's made no, history in many ways. There's really yeah. no protocol for this. No. Do you think they'll let her breastfeed on the floor? <laughs> we'll have to find out. <laughs> we'll have to find out. Some of those senators might object. This is the Bill Press Show. It's a disgrace. It's an attack on our country, says Donald Trump. But for once, he's not talking about immigrants coming north across the border. He's talking about his own, our own FBI raiding the offices of his attorney. Well, if his attorney hadn't done anything wrong, uh, maybe they wouldn't have raided his offices. Aha, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. Here we go. It is the Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, Tuesday, April 10, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our little perch on Capitol Hill right down the street from the United States Capitol building where this news rocked the Capitol yesterday afternoon. Uh, Donald Trump ready to meet with his military advisors to talk about what they're going to do about Syria when uh, all the reporters wanted to talk about was the news that just broke about the FBI and this morning raid on the home, the office, and the hotel room of Donald Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen. Again, good to see you today. We are out here with you uh, anywhere in this great land of ours, wherever you are. We're right there alongside of you, uh, in your ear, in your face. Online on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
on television, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT listeners. Great to be with you again. So good to see so many of you last Wednesday. And in Indiana, statewide uh, on Indiana Talks. Yes, indeed, and congratulations to Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois. It's a girl. Yes, indeed, her second girl, but her first girl as a U.S. senator. Uh, and, indeed, more than that, uh, uh, the first U.S. senator in the history of uh, this country to give birth while a member of of the Senate. So um, making Sammy Duckworth making history yet yet again. She, she she likes to make history with that type of stuff. I mean, she's a badass and was before this, but this is so cool. Yeah, I got you know very very great job as a, a member of Congress from Illinois, uh, uh, Deputy Secretary of the Veterans Administration for a while under President Obama, and of course before that, a real hero uh, in in Iraq. Uh, and lost um, three of her limbs, two of her limbs at least, uh, in Iraq, and yet uh, a real fighter and, and, and a great, great, great champion, great U.S. senator. And now a new mom. So congratulations, Senator Tammy Duckworth. Yes, in that big story the day it broke yesterday where, so here's what happened. The FBI, they got a search warrant. They showed up at the offices of Michael Cohen. Remember him. He is the president's personal attorney been uh, Donald Trump's personal attorney for a long time. Uh, he was not part of the campaign, but he was Donald Trump's personal attorney before the campaign, during the campaign, and still is today. It was the same Michael Cohen, you remember, who uh, admits that he paid to Stormy Daniels $130,000 uh, hush money, uh, in an NDA, so-called non-disclosure agreement, not to talk about her uh, affair with uh, Donald Trump from 2005 through 2000, 2006. Uh, and he said he did so out of his own pocket, out of love for Donald Trump, just to keep him out of trouble. He made that payment, of course, 11 days before the election uh, in late October 2016. But the FBI, they seized documents yesterday uh, uh, with this search warrant from his office, from his home, uh, and from his hotel room at the Lowe's Regency in New York. Huge, huge, hugely significant. Uh, as uh, as every legal expert said yesterday, first of all, the FBI, this, this is a big deal. To go after the president's private attorney, the FBI didn't do this, um, <clears throat> like, loosely, right? They didn't do this on a whim. You know they they had to have serious evidence of wrongdoing, of criminality to justify a warrant and to take that move, which is certainly, uh, in one sense, a risky move. And they wouldn't just roll the dice unless they were pretty sure that they, that they knew what was there uh, and it was evidence that they could use to convict uh, Michael Cohen. Among the documents they seized were the documents related to this $130,000 payment, but we don't know what else they've got or what else they were looking for. Um, and um, the Washington Post reports this morning that what the FBI is uh, investigating Michael Cohen for are three counts, bank fraud, wire fraud, 
and a possible illegal campaign contribution in the sense that if that $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels were made right toward the, um, and it was made 11 days before the election, uh, was that, in effect, a campaign contribution to help Donald Trump uh, quiet this very negative story uh, just before we all went to the polls in November uh, 2016. Uh, and the, the, the question is also raised, if Robert Mueller did this, he wasn't just looking, was he looking beyond Stormy Daniels and looking, remember, this is the Russian investigation. So could Michael Cohen, raises so many questions, but could Michael Cohen be the bridge between the Russian investigation and Stormy Daniels, and are they in some way connected through the money? Again, who knows? But once again, we say this well, all the time. I, this means the Mueller investigation is not winding down, and it is not going away, and it is a criminal investigation against the president of the United States led by the Department of Justice and the FBI. Like. Whether or not Whoa. whether or not that actually happens, right? Time will tell. We'll see. Yeah. Right. But you hit on it a little bit when you, like we've seen Michael Cohen for many, many years. And people that have followed Donald Trump know that Michael Cohen is essentially one of the people in his inner circle. Mm. He is his lawyer. He keeps Total. his secrets. As much he keeps as his documents. Anybody. Like, he probably knows more about Donald Trump than Melania. And he and Trump are buddies. He yeah. and Trump and Melania have dinner all the time together. Yeah. No, I mean, he's he's an alter ego. If anybody Trump. knows where the bodies are buried in the life of Donald Trump, it's Michael Cohen. Yeah, absolutely. So, boy, this is—so let's let uh, Pierre Thomas from ABC News kind of sum up. Uh, Pierre Thomas, I worked with him uh, way, way back at, uh, at CNN. He's been the uh, legal— uh, affairs reporter for ABC for years, and he kind of summed up uh, the case yesterday. And then we'll hear from uh, <clears throat> Donald Trump, who wasn't happy with what happened. Daniel says she had an affair with the president back in 2006, something the White House denies. Cohen's attorney, Stephen Ryan, calling the raid, quote, completely inappropriate and unnecessary, adding it resulted in the unnecessary seizure of protected attorney-client communications between a lawyer and his clients. Ryan also said the raid was a result of a referral by the special counsel Bob Mueller. A source telling ABC News the FBI raids were not about Russia. The case is being assigned to federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. All right. So, by the way, and the people who conducted this raid are people that Donald Trump appointed to head the FBI office in New York uh, and the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in New York after he fired uh, uh, pre Bahara. Bahara. Yeah. Right. Um, so, as, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, the president was uh, uh, getting ready to sit down with his military advisors to talk about what they're going to do about Syria <laughs> when uh, another bomb exploded, which was this um, Michael Cohen raid. Uh, as far as Donald Trump said, it is an attack on our country. It's frankly a real disgrace. It's a, an attack on our country in a true sense. It's an attack on what we all stand for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Was that Tammy Duckworth's new baby? No, yeah. no, no. That was the oh. president himself. Oh, that's the president himself. <laughs> Whining, yeah. crying. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it was not an attack on our country. It's part of invest a criminal investigation 
into the actions of the President of the United States. I keep repeating that. Our President, <clears throat> somehow, however it happened, is Donald Trump. This investigation is a criminal investigation about Donald Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, don't get too diverted into any other issues or whatever else you're out there talking about any one time. The central issue is there is an ongoing criminal investigation by the Department of Justice into the president himself at the Oval Office. And, 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 he, and the people that Mueller is going after are closer and closer to Donald Trump himself. Uh, as for the investigation, Trump repeats again, you know, here's what he's been calling it since day one. I think it's uh, disgraceful, and so does a lot of other people. This is a pure yeah, yeah. and simple witch hunt. Mm-hmm. So does a lot of other people. Yeah, name one outside of John Kelly or Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, Richard yeah. Nixon thought that the same thing that was uh, happening uh, to him was a witch hunt, too. Yeah, so. and as far as these FBI people these that are working for, for Robert Mueller... Hmm. Biased group of people. These people have the biggest <laughs> conflicts of interest I've ever seen. And the one who has the biggest conflict of interest, again, <laughs> poor little Jeffy Sessions. I, I, like, I mean, oh, Jefferson Beauregard, he tries so hard, kisses Donald Trump's ass in public five times a day, will do anything he wants. He has been the most loyal little puppy dog foot soldier of Donald Trump, of anybody. It's amazing that we feel sorry for Jeff Sessions, who is a monster. A monster. A right. monster. And Donald but Trump has made us feel sorry for him. He's tried so hard to make up to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump still, again yesterday, blames it all on little Jeffy. They raid an office of a personal attorney early in the morning, uh, and I think it's a disgrace. So we'll be talking about it more. But this is the most conflicted group of people I've ever seen. Uh, the attorney general made a terrible mistake. <laughs> the attorney general, there it is, made a terrible mistake. And what he means, of course, because Sessions did not himself personally order this raid yesterday because he couldn't because he recu- had recused himself. So it was Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, who okayed the request by Robert Mueller to go after Michael Cohen, uh, but again, for the president, it's that initial mistake that Jeff Sessions made, in his opinion, for which he will never, never, never forgive Jeff Sessions, no matter how many times Jeff Sessions kisses his ass in public. He should have certainly let us know if he was going to recuse himself, and we would have used a, put a different attorney general in. So he made what I consider to be a very terrible mistake for the country. Yeah, he's just he, openly regretting the fact that he appointed Jeff Sessions. Yeah, he says, you know, we, uh, I I wish I hadn't appointed him. Right? That, I mean, how do you how do you get up in the morning and do your job when your boss is saying that about you publicly, like for everyone to hear? That's that's just the worst. And he, Jeff Sessions is going to keep on doing his thing. Uh, if he had any self respect, he'd resign. Yeah, Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we all know that he does not. He does not. No. Uh, you know, I go back to, what, over a year ago, I said he should have resigned and run for his old Senate seat again. Sure. He would have been better off in the Senate. Exactly. And remember, again, he was the first senator to endorse Donald Trump when everybody else laughed him off the Senate floor, right? So, I mean, he's been doing everything he can to impress Donald Trump uh, and to buddy up to Donald Trump from the very, very beginning. Um, uh, the, the, the one... The other thing that uh, 
that Donald Trump did say. Uh, he, so he classically goes after Robert Mueller. Witch hunt classically goes after um, Jeff Sessions. Uh, he also said um, about this group, we, we re, re, uh, had that clip, the most biased group of people, but he continued after that and said, they're all Democrats or just about all. They're either Democrats or a couple of Republicans that work for President Obama. He continues, listen up. They're not looking at the other side. They're not looking at the Hillary Clinton, horrible things that she did and all of the crimes that were committed. Hell yeah. So once again, right, he tries to bring it back. Why aren't they, why are they investigating me? Why aren't they investigating Hillary Clinton? Boy, how many times has he tried that little, that, you know, that dog don't hunt, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he keeps trying and he keeps calling witch hunt. So what everybody is asking today, again, is, um, <clears throat> is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Is this the, is Donald Trump so riled up now after this when he hears those footsteps getting closer and closer to the Oval Office that he will do what everybody has warned him he'd better never do, and that is will he fire Robert Mueller? Uh, yesterday, he wouldn't say no. A reporter did throw this question at him uh, as the reporters were winding up and leaving this little press availability uh, but the president uh, didn't duck it. He, uh, he, he, I mean, he, he doesn't give an answer, but he did somewhat of uh, indicate that it's still on the table. Here he is. Why don't I just fire Mueller? Well, I think it's a disgrace what's going on. We'll see what happens. But I think it's really a sad situation when you look at what happened. And many people have said you should fire him. Oh, many, many people. people are saying. Yeah, many, many, many people have said you should fire uh, Robert Mueller. Mm, maybe John Bolton has said that. Anybody on Fox News has said it, but like not yeah. real people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we know uh, so many people have warned, including Paul Ryan, the speaker, that if he fires Robert Mueller, that could prov provoke a constitutional crisis. Because remember, so... He can't fire him directly. He'd have to fire Rod Rosenstein. He'd have to ask Rosenstein to fire Mueller. Rosenstein, I have no doubt, would say, not going to do it. Submit my resignation. So then they'd have to appoint somebody else and keep going down the line, a la Richard Nixon and the Saturday Night Massacre, until he found somebody like Robert Bork, who did it for Richard Nixon, who would actually fire Robert Mueller. Uh, and then, I'm not saying that would lead to immediate impeachment, but then that just, just might get some Republicans in Congress to uh, break with the president. Uh, but don't hold your breath. Even, even at that point, uh, don't hold your breath. But uh, certainly for the president yesterday, and we know he's wanted to fire Robert Mueller for the last year, but for him to get that close and, 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 and not say... No, we're going to let Mueller do his job. Um, just say we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, so uh, this is this is the biggest news yet, maybe out of the Mueller uh, in investigation. Oh, you're right about that. I mean, right. th this could be a real turning point. Yeah, depending right. on what they get from Michael Cohen and what they found and all that type of stuff, this could be the moment that we all look back and go, "Oh my God, this is when it changed." Now, as if that's not enough, <laughs> uh, the <coughs> pardon me, the New York Times reports. Uh, that Mueller is also looking at another um, uh, uh, connection here, 
And that is a connection between uh, Donald Trump and Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, he's the theme here. He's everywhere. Uh, between Mike, uh, Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, and a Ukrainian billionaire uh, by the name of Victor Pinchuk, who made a $150,000 contribution to the Trump Foundation in October 2015. So about six months after Donald Trump had announced for president, uh, and he paid the foundation $150,000 to get Donald Trump to do a little video for some charity or some organization uh, in the Ukraine. But again, this is foreign money coming into the United States. Boy, don't I remember Donald Trump making a lot about the Clinton Foundation accepting foreign money? Oh, God, they would never do that. How soon we forget. Yeah. So this is foreign money from a Ukrainian billionaire who is very close to the Kremlin into the Trump operation somehow. And that contribution was solicited and arranged by Michael Cohen. Where did that money go? What was that money used for? What was Victor Pinchuk? What contacts and connections was he providing to the Kremlin in response for this, in return for this access to Donald Trump? It's a whole nother area, which um, if the FBI had not raided the office of Michael Cohen yesterday, that probably would have been the big story today. Uh, but it just, yeah. it, but it just, I, I think it proves again how Robert Mueller is following the money, following the money. And we've said for a long time that if anything does bring Donald Trump down, I don't think it'll be the emails, the DNC emails. I don't think it'll be the um, the hacking uh, or those uh, alleged, not alleged, they they were efforts to influence this election or any so-called collusion, Uh, I think it'll be the money. I think it'll be the direct conflicts of money and his ties with Russia uh, that have have resulted in his giving Russia a pass on trying to influence uh, our election. That certainly seems to be where uh, Robert Mueller is going, uh, that and the obstruction of justice, both as we see today more serious charges than ever before. Meanwhile, what is happening on the Assyria front? We thought that we would know by now. Uh, yesterday, the president did meet with his military advisors, as we mentioned, uh, and all he would say was, uh, as he says here, uh, we're working on it. We're taking our time. Uh, we'll know something soon, but right now we're just uh, weighing our options. We're making a decision as to what we do with respect to the horrible attack that was made near Damascus, and it will be met, and it will be met forcefully. Uh, Yesterday, up at the United Nations, uh, our ambassador to the United Nations, uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, uh, clearly says it is blood on the hands of Russia because of their support for Bashar al-Assad. The Russian regime, whose hands are all covered in the blood of Syrian children, cannot be ashamed by pictures of its victims. We've tried that before. No. And she says, no doubt, uh, the Russians are directly, knew what was going on, are directly involved. Russian officials are on the ground helping direct the regime's starve and surrender campaign. And Iranian allied forces do much of the dirty work. Uh, So I think we can expect, as we said yesterday, 
a military response, probably some kind of a surgical strike. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if it happens uh, as quickly as today, but we thought it was going to happen uh, yesterday. Um, on another front, we've talked uh, several times about we're, here we are. We're, we're in 2018. These are the midterm elections. Uh, and a story reported in the uh, Washington Post this morning that says this, that, that Republicans have already given up the House. But privately, they're saying, we know we're going to lose the House. We're just going to try to hold on to the Senate because the Senate is going to be our bulwark uh, against legislation that Democrats might pass in the House, against any impeachment attempts, or our effort, our, our ability to continue to pack the federal courts with uh, Donald Trump conservative judges. Uh, a little more evidence of how uh, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, screw this whole thing up by taking it for granted that Democrats take the House because Democrats could still blow it. But they have a good shot at taking the House. Again, they need 23 seats. And the average loss for a president's party in his first term is 43 seats. Average loss. So even if it's just the average, Democrats have a 20-seat advantage there. They need 23. The average loss is 43 for the party in power. Um, so we know that. That looks good. Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania winning uh, certainly looks good. Um, Politico yesterday giving some figures about something else that really looks good. And by the way, the generic polls show that people generally, although each each race is an individual race of so these generic polls, you have to kind of take with a grain of salt. But generic polls show that Democrats have about anywhere from a 7.5 to a 10% advantage meaning more, 10% more Americans want to see Democrats take control back control of the House. Another factor that we talked about before is the uh, enthusiasm gap between Democrats who are really fired up for these midterms uh, and Republicans who are sort of so-so. Uh, here's some numbers that came out of Politico yesterday I found very interesting. Among candidates, overall candidates for the House this year, there are 1,415 Democrats running for the House, 934 Republicans. Again, the enthusiasm gap. Among women, get this, there are 424 Democratic women running for the House, 124 Republicans, uh, Republican women. Among men, 991 Democratic men running for the House, 810 Republican men. So in all three of those categories, Democrats really have put, have put more players on the field and, again, running candidates in many races where, for years, there hasn't been, hasn't even been a Democratic candidate like up in Pennsylvania's 18 again. So uh, things are looking up, looking up. If Democrats uh, keep fielding great candidates uh, and with the right message, um, they could do well and take back the House this year. It's looking good. I hate to interrupt and change the topic. Uh-oh. Donald Trump is tweeting. He has tweeted. Uh, he has tweeted? He has tweeted. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, there he is. Hi, Donnie. <clears throat> yeah, he's up. A he's total tweeting. witch hunt. Yeah, he, he tweeted this morning. First of all, he tweeted a uh, very, very, couple of very short yeah. uh, tweets yeah. for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, Attorney-client privilege is dead. Exclamation mark. That is what he tweeted uh, just uh, mm -hmm. a couple of yeah. minutes ago. And then right after that, he followed up with another tweet that just says, as you mentioned, 
a total witch hunt. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. point. So I think there will, be, there will probably be more coming, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> you know, if we know anything about Donald Trump. But, I mean, this well, definitely sounds like someone who definitely positively does not have anything to hide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there were – he did make those comments to the media yesterday, uh, reporters. Uh, but uh, some people were wondering, why hasn't he tweeted more about right. this? Right. Yeah. Well, well, here we are. Here we are. I think maybe – Executive had, time. Executive time, and he had to wait and see what Fox and Friends had to say about it, right? <laughs> right. Mm, yeah, right. You know, all the all the very important news <laughs> on Fox and Friends this morning, like Larry Gatlin's 70th birthday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he, had, he had to wait and see what uh, President Steve Ducey had to say right, about it. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Quick break. Now, this is another big day in Washington for another wholly unrelated reason, and that is Mark Zuckerberg is in town, and he is up in front of a Senate committee today. Oh, man, is he going to face a barrage of uh, questions? I don't think there'll be friendly questions from any side, unfriendly from both sides. Nancy Scola from Politico, senior technology reporter, is going to tell us all about it. Coming up next with a quick break, we'll be back. Stay with us. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. About it, Tuesday, April 10, uh, the Bill Press Show, with you coast to coast online on the radio and on television from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those great men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, who keep our federal agencies running day in and day out. Republican, Democratic administrations, they're just serving the American people. Proud to get up and work for American, their fellow Americans every day. We salute them. Thank them for the support of the program. And uh, recommend you check out their website at afge.org. Uh, yes, we want to get into um, Jeff Zuckerberg's appearance before the Senate uh, Commerce Committee, I guess, and Judiciary. And judiciary, yes. Uh, Nancy Scola is here from Politico, senior technology reporter to uh, help us through it. Hi, Nancy. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. And we have been, uh, we're talking a little bit in the first half hour about uh, whether or not Donald Trump might fire Robert Mueller. He's getting some advice to do so. Uh, I just noticed during the break uh, that uh, Lou Dobbs last night uh, on his show uh, told the president, you have to fire that son of a bitch, Robert Mueller. Is that what he said? That's what Lou Dobbs said. That's great. That's great. When Donald Trump says, a lot of people think that I should fire Robert Mueller, now we know who he's listening to. He's listening to Lou Dobbs. Right, and we're listening Lou to you. Dobbs. Come on. <coughs> um, we are listening to you and your comments, Peter. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Joey weighs in, uh, says, innocent men don't get raided by the FBI. Long time coming. Remember, this is, of course, using Trump's own words against him, what he said about Hillary Clinton. And uh, Phil, our friend Phil, says, Donald Trump's tweet this morning that oh. it's a total witch hunt. Michael Cohen is a witch. Burn him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you have any comments, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at BP Show. Yeah, but it, it, it just uh, maybe uh, pointing out, underlining one that first comment is, you know, the U.S. attorney and the FBI would not do this raid unless they had serious evidence to indicate that there was criminal activity there. Because this is right. a, a very, very 
bold, unusual, maybe unprecedented move. Uh, they wouldn't do so without compelling evidence of some kind of criminality. We'll see what comes of it. Uh, back to Michael Zuckerberg, or Mark Zuckerberg, rather, <laughs> Nancy, so what kind of a reception do you think he's going to get today? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, pretty heated and harsh. All the on, from both sides. I think so. I think Democrats are a little more worked up about the role that uh, Facebook played in the U.S. presidential election last time Mm -hmm. around, both on the use of data that we now learned from coming from uh, the company Cambridge Analytica, the allegations around that, but also these the the talk about so-called fake news, uh, what sort of Russian interference may have taken place on the platform. So Democrats are not pleased at all. Uh, Republicans are, are probably eight on the scale of 10, uh, where t- Democrats are 10 on the scale of 10 of, of being annoyed with Facebook. So it's not good all around. Uh, he, he sort of made the rounds yesterday on Capitol Hill uh, talking to senators one on one. So that seemed to help a bit. Usually they're a little bit nicer on people uh, that took the time to stop by their offices and have a talk. So it's also uh, interesting how much money Mark Zuckerberg has given to these politicians over the years. Right. Like it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. He has been generous. Yes. Oh, right. I've never seen. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Actually, to clarify, so Facebook and Facebook employees have been pretty generous. Mark Zuckerberg tends to like, stay out of sure, this sort sure. of donation business, but oh, yes, okay. yes. Um, I've never seen him in a tie before. <laughs> that he was looked pretty sharp. I yeah, thought he actually. did. He totally did. There was yeah. an interesting comment on Twitter. We were sort of uh, discussing his sartorial choices on Twitter, and someone made the comment that he had a uh, a spread collar, which is sort yeah. of a classic yeah. DC collar. And it indicates he was never going to take his tie off that day. It was sort of a suit of armor because – and it's not popular, I guess, in Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley, if you wear a tie, it's usually for one meeting in the day and then you take it off. So you wear a slightly different collar. So he was ready for D.C. Oh, yeah. I mean, ties are not popular in Silicon Valley. <laughs> no. Uh, no, it really so was jarring to see him on TV walking in a, in a suit. I've never seen him in a tie before. No, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. No. And he uh, was one of those people. Never seen had, a picture of him in no. a tie before. It had the effect of make, somehow making him look younger. <laughs> Usually, it's it making him look older, kid. but he looked, looked <laughs> okay. a bit younger. So let's get back to the facts. I mean, uh, how many, uh, how many people? The privacy of how many people was given away or lost or sold by Facebook? The current statistic is up to eighty-seven million, and that's sort of like the outer bounds of the universe uh, of people implicated in this particular situation. And how do you know if you're one of them? They will tell you. If you log into Facebook yesterday and today, it should be at the top of your news feed letting you know if you're one of the people affected. Mm-hmm. And um, what can they? What can you do about it? What can they do about it? <laughs> you can feel real bad about it. Yeah. That, okay. Well, <laughs> one, that helps. The central question of the debate is whether the data that was released has since been deleted. Facebook claims that they certified that it has been. Uh, more recent reports are maybe that it, it has not been. So I was interested this morning. There's a group called American Future Fund. I know nothing about them. Mm-mm, me neither. Uh, they have um, eight questions for Mark Zuckerberg. This is a full-page ad, color ad, in the New York Times this morning. Um, but what is the the first question is, uh, let's just run through this. Two weeks ago, the New York Times reported that Cambridge Analytica harvested the personal data of 50 million. That's what we first heard, 50 mm-hmm. million. Now you say the number is 87 million. What's the real number, and did, did and why did it increase by 37 million in one week? So to be fair, the first number of 50 million came from press reports. Facebook at first said, we don't know. We don't know the full extent of this. Yeah. Uh, they have all said all along, we need to investigate. When we figure out what's going on, we'll let you know. So the 87 million was the first figure that they've come out with. Okay. Second question is, am I one of the 87 million? I think mm-hmm. we just covered this. Yep. Uh, are my kids? Well, you find out by logging on to your Facebook account, yep. right? And mm-hmm. they will tell you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So where did that da- – uh, I'm away from this page for a second. Where did that data go? 
So the data was collected by a researcher at Cambridge University in England. Uh, he collected it as part of a sort of personality quiz that people sent, tend to take on Facebook. I'm not sure why. Uh, at the time that he ran this quiz, which was about the 2014 era, he there was a setting on Facebook where you could share not only your own personal data, but the data of your friends, sort of a friends of friends feature. So the researcher collected that data, the people that logged in to take his quiz, it was about 270,000 people. Those people had what we're learning to be 87 million friends. They, those users also shared the data of their friends with this researcher. That's sort of kosher uh, as far as Facebook worked at the time. What he did was then sell that data to a firm called Cambridge Analytica. Uh, that was not kosher. And that firm happened to be co-founded by Steve Bannon, who would later go on to become the chairman of mm-hmm. the, excuse me, the CEO of the Trump campaign. Uh, so there were real political implications at sort of the, the loss of this data. One of the questions that I, you know, if I were sitting up on the dais today asking Mark Zuckerberg is, at what point did you realize that Cambridge Analytica was a pretty uh, politically partisan firm uh, working in the United States? And if you learned that at the time in the course of the you know presidential election, at that point, it wouldn't have been appropriate to maybe let the public know. Did Zuckerberg or the people at Facebook know that the data had gone from Facebook to Cambridge, Cambridge University and from Cambridge University to Cambridge Analytica? Yes. They did? Mm-hmm. So they could track it that way? N- they, they were told, I'm sorry, interrupt, they, they were, were told that by uh, reporters, mostly at The Guardian in the UK. And they didn't do anything about it? They said that Cambridge Analytica, both Cambridge Analytica and the researcher at Cambridge University certified to them that they had deleted the data. They let the matter drop there. Okay. So um, Cambridge Analytica paid for this data from this professor, right? Yes. Did did Facebook get any of that money? No. So Facebook did not did sell. Facebook did not sell this information. No, it was sort of a lose lose for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> they got in trouble and didn't get any of the any of the profit. Okay, uh, back to the New York Times list here uh, from American Future Fund, which interestingly, their subhead I just noticed here says advocating conservative free market ideals. So I don't think this is any liberal uh, outfit here that's (laughs) posing these questions, but these are questions that maybe everybody has. A lot of people have at any rate. Three, does Facebook keep track of me even when I'm not using Facebook? Uh, That's an interesting question, and Hmm. I don't know that we're completely sure because Facebook actually runs a lot of the infrastructure of the web. If you use Facebook login on other sites, which people do pretty frequently. So they're keeping track of you in, uh, when you're using some of those sites and services. What do you think? I, th- I think they're probably keeping track of it. A hundred percent. Huh? Don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I don't have anything necessarily to back this up, but yes, I believe it a hundred percent. Right. If they're not NSA is, so yeah, right. one or the other, right? Yeah. Maybe they're both one the same. I don't know. Can I opt out of Facebook's data collection? Uh, you cannot use Facebook. <laughs> I guess that's pretty effective. That's the only way, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea is gaining traction uh, to to require Facebook to have this opt-out or even an opt-in setting, right? You, you yeah, would have to yeah. say, okay, I consent to using my data. You know, for example, sometimes sites say, this site uses cookies, right? Yeah. So are you okay with that? Yes yeah. or no? Or uh, Google wants to use your current location. Location, right? yeah. If so, some, some sites... Um, if you're obviously if you're looking for the nearest pizza joint, you know, yeah. you want them to know where you are. Right. But so why couldn't you opt in and out of of the data collection? The challenge for Facebook is that's the core of its business model is using your data to target ads well to you. Mm-hmm. Advertisers being willing to pay good amounts of money to target those ads because they know it works well on Facebook. So if you opt out, you're sort of worthless to Facebook. 
or worth yeah. the staff advertisers, and Facebook doesn't have you know much uh, of a way of making making money. Uh, well, that gets to the next question, <laughs> which is how much money does Facebook make by selling my phone and text messaging history? Why doesn't Facebook share any of this money with me? It's a, it's a decent question. So, they, I mean, in their defense, they do say, and I think, you know, there's no reason to believe it's not true. They don't actually sell your data. They sell access to you to advertisers, right? They're not sort of conveying, here's a full file on Bill Press to advertisers to sort of that are then paying for that information directly. They're saying, we want to reach consumers like Bill Press. How do we do that? They use that to help advertisers target you. Which is... Pretty valuable information, Mm -hmm. right? I think there have been estimates that they know that I'm interested in a certain uh, area of goods or line of products or something, right? So those advertisers, they'll direct those advertisers. Here's a likely target. Yeah, I mean, it's why Facebook's a half trillion dollar business, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Um, Are Facebook employees laughing at the personal photos I send (laughs) sent my spouse using Messenger? I've wondered that myself. Yeah, same. Uh, okay, we don't have an answer to that. <laughs> why can, here's seven, number seven, why can Mar- Mark Zuckerberg delete his old Facebook messages, but I can't? Because <laughs> he's the boss and you're not. <laughs> That's about it, right? But he can? He has enormous power. I don't, I don't actually know about the, the nuances of some of that, but it is worth saying that he has enormous power over an enormous company. He's sort of unchecked in some ways. Inside inside the firm itself, he's chairman of the board. He's CEO. He's the majority stakeholder. Uh, What's the company worth? So the estimate is about a half trillion dollars, mm-hmm. which isn't isn't nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this final question sort of sums it up. Why does Facebook make it so hard to figure any of this out? They claim they don't. It's remarkable because when you speak to them, they think, well, we have all the privacy settings. All you need to do is go in there and and you know mess around and set it the way that you want it. And what we say again and again is, you know, we're I work with a team of tech, six tech reporters and not we're, that we're necessarily technical geniuses, but we should be able to figure out sort of basic consumer privacy settings. And you go in there and you set it and you don't know exactly what you've consented to. That's the thing, right? Like, I'm not a dummy when it comes to computers and social media, right? Yeah. And and I, I went through this phase a couple of weeks ago when this f- story first popped and I said, I'm just going to delete my Facebook account. Just forget. It. I'm just going <laughs> to delete my Facebook account. And it's... It's damn near impossible to just delete your Facebook account. Like you can deactivate, yeah. and there are a couple of different ways you can do it. But like to go in and just remove yourself from Facebook is really hard. Yeah, and I think it, you know, in sort of a technical level, it? it. No, I gave up. <laughs> they won. Figure it out. They won. They totally beat me. I think there's also it. It's fun to talk about. I think it points to some of the challenges inside Facebook. You have the security folks competing with the ad folks. Uh, the security folks might want to help you sort of protect your privacy, but the ad folks have real incentive for, you know, having you stick around. Now, that I think, by the way, is what it really comes down to. That's that's why they make it so hard is mm-hmm. because if you go, there's some untapped money there that they're losing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So is it just Facebook? I think, well, I'll tell you, Google and Twitter are very happy this week. <laughs> they were also yeah, invited yeah. to the, the hearings that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's participating in. They haven't consented to go, and no one seems to be too upset about that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they're they're uh, they're pretty pleased. Just let him go by himself. Yeah. they. I think Facebook is just, it's a more intimate uh, digital exchange than some of these other platforms. You're giving more information to them. They're taking more information from you. Uh, so I think it, it's a little bit of a different situation than some of the other technology companies. Uh, and who else collects this kind of data then? Does, does Google and does Amazon or? 
I mean, Google, the big question for me on Google is Gmail. If you, if you consent to use Gmail, they have a real access to some of your deepest, darkest thoughts. Um, and they do make use of that content because they, they also target ads based on the content of some of those emails or have traditionally. So there's some of the same questions with, with Google. Uh, I just saw something this morning about uh, about Gmail. First of all, the, the, the little um, interesting facts, factlets from the New York Times. Uh, the first one that caught my attention is the one right above the Gmail, which is, get this, an estimated, this is totally unrelated to anything we're talking about. <laughs> I just found it interesting. An estimated 4.7 million households in the United States owned at least one reptile in 2016. <laughs> Five million houses have snakes. <laughs> uh, wasn't my house, that's for sure. Mm-mm. Your kids don't have snakes? No, hell no. No, frogs? No. I mean, no, we're lizards? Not, we're not a reptile house. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dogs and cats, There are two man. kinds of houses. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that kind of frightening? Yeah, I don't like that stuff. Mm, no. That's okay. too many. But now to the Gmail. <laughs> More than 1.2 b- billion people mm-hmm. have active Gmail accounts. Mm-hmm. That's stunning. Yeah. Uh, worldwide, I'm sure, right? But Yeah. Ooh, ooh. I mean, yeah. Facebook users, 2.2 billion is that's, it? That's a whole but, you lot know, of people. To, to, to your point about Gmail, right? Like I about remember, reptiles? I re- no. not, not about reptiles, <laughs> but about Gmail. Like I remember when Gmail first came around, and there was a there was a mini uproar at first when they said, "We will not us personally, but we have software that's going to be essentially scouring your emails and your conversations to target ads to you because that's how we're going to make money here, right? It's a free service, I think." Because so many people use it, I think it's. I think we can say it's probably the best free email client out there, and they're making money off of it because they're scanning our emails. Like they they own up to that. They said that's what they did, mm-hmm. and we chose to go along with it. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, present I, company included. I'm too completely yep. guilty of this. Right. I mean, uh, almost everybody I know has abandoned their old email account for a, a Gmail account. Yeah. It's really become universal. And one of the reasons it's so appealing is it stores thousands and thousands and thousands of messages. Remember the old days you'd have to go in and delete your mm-hmm. old email messages? So we're paying for all that uh, storage capacity in one way or another. Right. Um, so what is Zuckerberg likely to say today? He's going to apologize. We've already seen his opening he statement. Said it. He's How going to apologize times? over and over again. Very sorry. It was my very mistake. Sorry. This is my company. At the end of the day, I run things. I'm very sorry. I think one of the things he's going to make painfully clear is that some of the practices that were the most egregious, they stopped a couple years ago. So we're learning about things that happened in the 2014-2015 time period. They've since sort of tightened up a bit on like the privacy what? front. So this this friends of friends feature that was sort of I don't I don't I would love to hear a defense of it. I'm not quite you know why and if I consent to give someone an advertiser my information, why I can get my friends' information over to them. Yeah. Um, they realized at some point, in part because of the use of the feature by the Obama campaign, which Republicans are, are like to bring up uh, they tightened up on that in about 2015 um, so the, he, I think he's going to make the point that we we have changed some of the things that people found most offensive in sort of our growing period and he's going to promise any more changes or new you know they're working on a bunch of things yeah reforms a, lo- mm-hmm. a lot of the features that they've made a point of saying they're working on are uh, election related so this political ad transparency that may well come up so in the past you know during the 2016 election there was this discussion of 
you know, Russians and others running ads sort of trying to influence the uh, U.S. presidential election in inappropriate ways. They are since uh, they're in the process of instituting transparency around that. So you at least have to say who you are. You have to validate your address uh, if you place a political ad on the platform. So they're going to he's probably going to talk about some of the things that they're uh, doing around the election. Uh, And maybe you don't pay in rubles. That's one. That's one thing that it was. It was a this point strongly made during the last round of hearings, which happened I'm, with the I'm general counsel. I'm sorry counsels that Al Franken the, is not there for many reasons, but for that's one because he really zeroed in. On yeah, that he, they they a couple, mocked them for a couple of folks not recognizing that. that these may just may have come from Russia. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, given that they were, <laughs> there were in, there were signs. Okay, so um, here is what it seems to me is a heavy hammer. Uh, no secret that Congress may be holding over the head of uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Senator Bill Nelson, who's the chair of the Commerce Committee, or or ranking Ranking Democrat, Democrat. ranking Democrat, sorry, wouldn't be the chair. Republicans are in charge. Uh, He was the first one, I believe, that Mark Zuckerberg met with yesterday, or certainly one of, uh, and he met with reporters afterwards. Here's Bill, Senator Nelson. I believe he understands that uh, regulation uh, could be right around the corner. Whoa, there's the big R word, <laughs> something that Silicon Valley does not want to hear. Yeah. They're likely to hear it. The follow-up question, of course, is what kind of regulation? Yeah. Uh, Facebook yeah. sort of, after after delaying for a long while, they've agreed to this political trans, some of the principles around this political transparency. Uh, that's what a lot of members of Congress have pushed for, this idea that you have to have disclosures and disclaimers on political ads. I, you know, my sort of personal sense of this, it's not hugely painful for Facebook to agree to have, you know, paid for by Americans for X and the footer of some of their advertising. So if that's the sort of regulation that Facebook gets away with, I think they'll be quite all right with that. If they get, if that's all they, if that's all they get, yeah. Yeah. They'd be a big smile on yeah. their face. At the other right? end of the spectrum is sort of this talk of making them some sort of public utility. That's uh, that's what yeah. I've heard too. Yeah. Right. Which would which would mean what? That they I mean, I guess they'd have all kinds of hoops they'd have to dance through, right? Yeah, it's unclear exactly how that and would they, work. They'd, they'd have a mean... government agency they'd have to uh, respond to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it's, you know, some of the talk about the internet service providers making that a little bit more, it's not a public utility, but there has been this push in the Obama administration to make them a little more responsible for being neutral about carrying content and that sort of thing. Um, so that could be applied to Facebook. It's not entirely clear how that would work. I think, you know, Steve Bannon, again, we have spoke about him earlier. He also, when he was in the White House, talked a lot about making Facebook, Google, and Twitter public utilities. And I think in some ways it's just, you know, holding out the scariest possible possibility for these tech companies and then kind of push them more in the middle. To so do you think this is something where um, the right and the left could come together on? It's interesting because there has been a lot of uh, a lot of conservative anger at Facebook and Twitter in particular for what in YouTube, too, actually, which is Google owned about, uh, you know, quote unquote, censoring conservative leaning videos, tweets, all that sort of thing. Uh, so there has been a lot of, yeah, anger on the right at Silicon Valley. Steve Bannon talked about the lords of Silicon Valley. He would he would sort of rant mm-hmm. and rave about mm-hmm. them. When it comes to this conversation about, okay, what do we actually do? What sort of checks on the free market might we put in place? Then Republicans tend to, tend to back off a bit. Well, it, it seems uh, maybe a bridge too far for Republicans to get on their high horse and talk about more regulation. Right. It's 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 unusual. It, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it contradicts everything they're saying in every other field. Yeah. Particularly, look at EPA. You know, just getting rid of every every regulation they can. Department of Transportation across the board. Yeah. HHS, and yet in in this field they would want more regulation. Like, well, it's, yeah. Really. I think in some ways though it is fueled by this this cultural anger at some of these companies. I mean, you have. 
we've written a little bit at Politico about the idea that like the Silicon Valley is the next front on conservative culture wars, right? For a while it was sort of academia, then mm. it was Hollywood, and now it's the technology industry. So there is some there is some uh, some passion fueling this, but in terms of you actual know what regulation, I find puzzling about something. that is because. Uh, the, the conservatives have done so well using the social media. I think that's where their anger comes from. But they they, they really have excelled. I think they've uh, more so than liberals or progressives in yeah. the use of the social media. Absolutely. And if you Early have conservative thinkers, stronger. I mean, there are a lot of people that think they won the White House on the back of, of Twitter in some ways and Facebook, yeah. too. Yeah. And so I think that's where their anger comes from in some ways is, you know, this is our medium. We've invested so much in it. You had a lot of conservative, conservative thinkers and voice, voices mm-hmm actually pour a ton of money into building up Facebook um, profiles and that sort of thing. So they get particularly angry when they see themselves being restricted on those platforms. All right. So uh, out of time, but Zuckerberg testifies today and tomorrow too, right? Yes. House mm-hmm. committee tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Boy. It's going to go a long week. Buggle up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, so great to see you, Nancy. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Check your work at Politico.com. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. First, they came after his national security advisor, then his campaign manager, his deputy campaign manager, and now the FBI raiding the offices of his personal attorney. Donald Trump calls it a disgrace and an attack on our country. Hey, hello, everybody. Just when you thought Robert Mueller was going away, he is back with a vengeance. Great to see you today. It's Tuesday, April 10. This is The Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, as always. With the news of the day, giving you a chance uh, to update yourself on what's going on here in our nation's capital, around the country, and around the globe. Uh, Not only that, giving you a chance to comment yourself on the news of the day. You know how to do so. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Um, This Michael Cohen, whose office was raided yesterday, uh, we first heard about him. He's been around for a while, but really... Most recently heard about him when he admitted that it was he who arranged or made the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels uh, to keep her, where she would agree to keep quiet about her alleged relationship with Donald Trump from 2006 to 2007. Uh, What are those kinds of agreements all about and how much are they worth? Um, Tom Spiegel, is it? To pronounce it correctly? Spiggle, yeah. you got it. Spiggle. Yeah. Spiggle? Or... Like Wiggle with an S-P. Wiggle. Tom Spiegel <laughs> uh, is uh, a, a head of his own law firm, Spiegel Law Firm, who specializes in non-disclosure agreements and other plaintiff work, uh, joins us in studio and will walk us through it. Hi, Tom. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Lots of questions, particularly today when you originally booked. We didn't know this was going to be the news of the day, but so glad you're here. And we'll jump right into it. But okay. first... 
Peter has the big headlines the full of the day. Court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. <laughs> Tell me who said this, Bill. I would run for public office again in a heartbeat. Those were the words of... Oh, uh, wait. Um, Bill Clinton. Sarah Palin. No. Sarah Palin giving an interview to conservative Whoa. host Mark Levin. She, he asked her if she was ever going to run for public office again, and she said, oh, yes, I would do it again in a heartbeat. She blamed the fact that she totally flamed out on, quote, some of those who were trying to mold me into something that I was not during the campaign. I don't know if she meant it as a promise to her supporters or a threat to those of us who cover politics, but uh, she put it out there, so we'll see what her next move is. But Didn't she move to Arizona? I don't know what she's doing. I honestly honestly have no idea. I have no idea. She could run for mayor of Wasilla. Yeah, right. (laughs) Worked out so well the last time up there. Uh, By the way, one of the things you never, ever, ever, ever want to do is if you're at the airport... Make a joke about having oh, yeah. a bomb. That is what Green Bay Packers wide receiver Trevor Davis found out. He was arrested on a misdemeanor charge of making a criminal threat this weekend at LAX. He joked about smuggling a bomb in his luggage, and he and a female companion were taken into custody. How when, dumb. It's just one of those things you just, you just yeah. don't yeah. do. You should know by now. You he just, said something like, "Did you pack the explosives?" Yeah, yeah, right. It's not funny. It never. It's never funny. It. it it's not. It's not going to end well for you. <laughs> uh, and this is a fascinating story. I think CNN did a whole big piece on one of the largest Black Lives Matters uh, pages on Facebook. Right, you go on and you follow all the happening of the Black Lives Matter movement. Turns out the whole thing is a scam. Tied to a middle-aged white man in Australia, and it's not tied to the actual movement. It has almost 700,000 followers on Facebook. That's more than twice as much as the official Black Lives Matter page. So it just is a good reminder. Just remember out there, if you're going to follow something or like something on Facebook, it might not be what you think it is. Mm. It's a, I mean, it's it's fascinating. They dug into the whole story and, and how we got to here and how people uh, uh, got duped by it. But, yeah, I mean, 700,000 I mean, if there is fake news today, and there is, so much of it is on social media. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are on a Tuesday, April 10. Hello, everybody. The Bill Press Show. With all the news of the day, we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill. Good to have you with us today. As we reach out to you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, check out our podcast uh, throughout the rest of the day so you can catch up with parts of the show you might have missed uh, or listen to the entire show, some of the interviews and some of the guests that you particularly wanted to hear from. Again, uh, go to BillPressShow.com or anywhere that you find your podcast, iHeartRadio or whatever. Uh, We're also with you, of course, on television, on Free Speech TV uh, nationwide and on the radio, on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, 
coming through loud and clear. Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, if you haven't seen or haven't gotten your copy of my new book, my memoir, A Life Cross From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire, check it out on our website. Uh, find out more about it and how you can get your copy uh, and join people like Anderson Cooper and Bernie Sanders and Jerry Brown and uh, Maxine Waters and Rosa DeLauro and Nancy Pelosi and others uh, in their uh, praise of the book. Uh, think you'll enjoy it. Go to BillPressShow.com. Big news of the day, of course, the raid early yesterday morning by uh, the Justice Department, FBI agents of Michael Cohen, D D Donald Trump's private attorney, personal attorney, raided his office, his home, and his hotel room looking for documents related to the Mueller investigation. Tom Spiegel is with the his own law firm, Spiegel Law Firm, joining us in studio. Um, we first heard about Michael Cohen with this $130,000 payment to uh, Stormy Daniels for a non-disclosure agreement. How tight are those non-disclosure agreements? Do they... Um, do they hold up? Can she wiggle out of it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's an interesting question. They are normally pretty tight. Um, they are. Uh, it's a simple contract usually between, you know, two parties who are settling a lawsuit. And uh, as long as both parties agree to it and there is a, what we call a consideration, which we've heard a lot of in the news, there has to be yeah. something of value exchange. And it's usually pretty simple. The defendant pays some money and the person, you know, the, usually a woman, claiming the harassment, uh, agrees not to talk about it. And that's usually a, a valid contract. You know, they've uh, raised a lot of interesting questions in this particular contract. And they, they are a matter of state law. So it depends on which state that they are in. So it will vary uh -huh. from state to state. Uh, you know, this one's in California. And uh, they've made some arguments about the requirements under California for it to be a valid agreement that all parties have to have signed, et cetera. So, you know, there are some limited loopholes. But generally, they're pretty tight and they are hard to get out of, there, it's a question often of not whether they are enforceable, but whether or not it makes sense for the defendant to try to enforce them, right? Because then it only throws more uh, fuel on the fire if what they're trying to do is keep the whole matter quiet, which is what oh, they want. Okay. So um, Michael Avenatti, uh, Stormy Daniels' attorney, is claiming that this is invalid because Donald Trump did not sign it. They, yeah. They did have a range that both of them were going to sign it using pseudonyms. Right. Right. And his was PP, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Somebody said, why they choose those initials? But at any rate, but I've seen a copy of it, at least. Yeah. He didn't sign it. Right. And he said he didn't know about it now, right? So, and they are claiming under under California law that all, and it's under, under California law that all parties have to have signed it. Now, that's not true in every state. In fact, in most states, uh -huh. it's not required that you sign the agreement. In California, it is? Well, they're making that claim under California law. Let's we'll see what the what, courts you know, what, what decide do, on that. What do you know about well, that? Well, I don't, I don't practice in California, so I don't, haven't litigated. I'll tell you in Virginia and D.C. and Maryland and Tennessee and North Carolina, where we practice, um, that's not a requirement. Uh -huh. You know, just the fact that um, one can accept a contract in a number of different ways. Got it. Signing it is one way. Another way to accept a contract is by performing, by doing what you're required to do under the contract. So, Or if I, I guess you could have your attorney sign it for you yeah. in some states. Right, right. right. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Uh, an agent for you, which could be your attorney to sign it. So so I think it's an, it's, it's an interesting question whether or not she is legally bound to it. it Let me ask yeah, you the, uh -huh. a kind of a basic question. Yeah. What, would you even entertain such a contract? 
you're you're the attorney. Yes. If you didn't know that your client had in fact done something wrong. Well, you mean if I'm advising Donald Trump or if I'm on, on the defense side? You, you have a client, right? Uh, and this person is saying, "Oh, and this is non-disclosed." So it's you can deny it, but then you'd actually give her. Would you actually give her money? Knowing if you really knew your client had done nothing wrong, you you it seems to me you have to you have to know or figure out or believe that your client was probably in the wrong and you're just trying to save his ass. Well, I mean, it depends. I think probably in, in the case of Donald Trump, that's certainly that's certainly true. I, I think there are a lot of instances where it would make sense for you know if I, I I don't do management side work, I don't advise companies, but where there there might be good reason. It, it, the case, a case in which the the facts are are are, are more murky, right? There's a something mm-hmm. happened in the office, and there was a question about whether it was consensual and whether this should have happened, and both both sides don't want to go to a public lawsuit. So you know the defendant says, "Hey, look, you know I'm willing to, you know I'll pay you some money to have this go away, and you be quiet." And it'd be unclear as to whether or not something wrong happened. Okay. Let me ask you this. Would sure. you, in that same case, yeah. would you dip into your own pocket, uh, take out $130,000 out of your mortgage line of credit? What, are you asking for a favor right now on air? Right. I don't know how well you guys know each other. But... <laughs> uh, and make that payment, number one, and number two, make that payment without telling your clients you did it. Oh, absolutely. My wife wouldn't mind at all if I mortgaged <laughs> my house to uh, to make a payment on behalf of one of my clients. No, it's absurd. See, it's just good lawyering. Right. Bro. Absolutely. Yeah. We do this all the time. You know, I'm just like, I don't know if my client likes this or not, but I'm just, you know, I've got this equity in my house. I live in Northern Virginia. What can I say? It's a good market. Um, I've got an extra six figures lying around. No, it's absurd. Right. I mean, it never, ever, ever, never, ever would this happen in any kind of normal law practice. Right. It's, and it's also it would be there's there's a question of, of practicality. Right. Who, who has that kind of money and why would you do that in the first instance? And the second is, as a matter of legal ethics, you couldn't do that without your client's knowledge to resolve the case. It would just be flat. And it's not even close. You have to tell your client. You have. I mean, in fact, I mean, it's, it is a requirement under legal ethics that you take any settlement offered to your client, no matter how ridiculous. So let's say you and I are in a lawsuit and you come to me and you say, I want $10 million. I have to, even if I think, even if I, as a lawyer think that is ridiculous, I am required by rules of ethics to go relay that to my client. Mm-hmm. So it certainly would be followed from that that you can't ethically resolve a suit on behalf of your client without him knowing. All right, so if Donald, when Donald Trump says... Uh, as has been repeated several times this morning because it's relevant to the other news of the day, when he says he knew nothing about that $130,000 payment, your your response is? Michael Cohen's in trouble. He's in trouble, right? You just can't, as a matter of legal ethics, you can't settle a, 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 you can't settle a claim on behalf of your client without telling him. Or could it be that Donald Trump is lying? Oh, well, no. Of course not. Donald Trump is lying. <laughs> oh, oh, <sorry. laughs> How dare you? Of course. I mean, God absolutely. Forbid right. that I would, <laughs> right. God forbid I would suggest that. Okay. I'm sorry. I take that back. Right. Okay. Absolutely. But, it's but one or the other. Right. Right. Yeah. There's okay. no good way out of this, right? Either he's lying or his, he's thrown his lawyer under the bus. Right. Okay. Which, which, by the way, I think he'd be more than willing to do. He's oh, thrown, of course. He's thrown the attorney general under right. the bus, right? So <laughs> why not? So why not? Why not his his own lawyer? All right. Now let's get to this raid yesterday. Donald uh-huh. Trump tweeting about it this morning. Uh, the raid, the FBI. By the way, this is the, and the raid was led by the U.S. attorney in New York, right? Yes. Yeah. Who was appointed by Donald Trump right. Right. to replace Preet 
Bahara. Right. Bahara. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's his own guy. Right. Who's approving this. Likely. I mean, we are, you know, yeah. it's, the way these things usually play out, and I used to be a federal prosecutor, and the way these things usually play out is that you've got to get sign-off from the local office to do that. Okay. Uh, so they raided Michael Cohen's uh, home, his office, and his uh, hotel room yes. at the Lowe's Regency Hotel. Um, would, should we assume that they wouldn't do this unless they had some pretty compelling evidence that the, that they were going to find something? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the fact that you've this got This is a, not something you do like— No. no. It's very likely there were a number of people casually. In, in very high levels who were a part of this decision-making. I mean, not only— you know, do you have the, you know, the the Southern District of New York, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office there, which is a very robust office known for its independence and, and competency involved with this. You'd have people from the high levels of the Department of Justice involved in this, you know, signing off on it before any move was made. And then, of course, they have to take it to a to a federal judge yeah, to yeah. sign off on this. So it's not they just, did have a warrant. They, they, had did to, have, they had to have a warrant. They had a valid warrant. Did. So right. I, I can assume that this was a matter of much discussion. And one of the, among the documents they were looking for were the documents pertaining to this uh, Stormy Daniels right. uh, non-disclosure agreement, which right. is why I wanted to start there. What relevance does that have to the Mueller investigation? Well, we don't know that it has any uh, ev- relevance to the Mueller investigation. I mean, there could be that there's a connection with um, with election law. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. That was a campaign contribution. Um, but we'll see. I mean, one of the reasons that it's in the posture that it's in is that Mueller made this referral because he was he decided he was not going to follow up on this either for any number of reasons. It could have been that he decided it was not within his purview. But he, he had this information uh, that, pro- that suggested to him a violation of federal law. And so he sent it over to the Southern District and said, hey, this is mm-hmm. which happens all the time, right? I mean, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office get referrals all the time and they can decide whether or not to follow up on them. So, so we'll see whether it has relevance or if it's just a straight plain vanilla, this is not to, to, to minimize it, um, a bank fraud, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with the, with the you know, the, 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 the Trump. So crime. you're saying this is really not part of the Mueller <clears throat> investigation, but came out of and is separate from? Yeah, we don't know for certain, but that's entirely, that seems to be at least one possibility for how this went to the Southern District and was something that was taken up by the Southern District. That right. One possibility is that Mueller, as part of the investigation, came across, and I'm just speculating, and this for certain, but that there was, um, uh, uh, you know, bank fraud. That when 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 Michael Cohen told his bank why he needed that hundred thirty thousand dollars, he didn't say to pay off an adult film star actress who mm-hmm. has allegations against the president. He likely did not say that. He said something else. Which there are lots of laws about this. Banks kind of frown on that, and so does the federal government lying to to, to banks that this would be bank fault. So if if he came across that, which would be pretty plain on the face of the documents, right? This would not be a particularly complicated matter. Uh-huh. Then yeah. he might he might say this is not part of my investigation. Again, speculating here, but this seems to make sense with the posture of it. But would for, refer to the Southern District to say. You guys can follow this on if you want, and then they did. Mm-hmm. And as you point out, these are all. <laughs> These are all Trump, uh, almost all of them Trump appointees who are making this decision. Yeah. Um, the, um, the Washington Post this morning says the three things that they are looking at, I don't know what their source is, are bank fraud, as you indicated, yeah. wire fraud, mm-hmm. or the possibility of a campaign that yes. just violates campaign law because it was made, this payment, 11 days before the election. Right. Um, ostensibly to influence the outcome of the election and then not report it as a campaign contribution. Right. So, right, absolutely. Any one of those three. Um, 
So um, you'd say Michael Cohen's in trouble? Oh, yes. I don't think there's any question. On multiple fronts. Yeah, he's in big trouble. Right. Um, have you been interviewed to, to be Donald Trump's new lawyer, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> he's going down the list. He hasn't gotten yeah. to the S's yet, apparently, because oh. I haven't gotten that card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is interesting that um, usually working for the president of the United States is like the most prestigious job Absolutely. you can have, right? It's I mean, big... if, you, if you've got a law firm and you put that, it's like, you know, uh, the shirt maker for the king or something. Right? Yes. You put that on your front door. Sure. You're, makes your career. Makes your career. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, if you get called, you probably already have a decent career, but it's the biggest yeah, but... feather you can put in your cap, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the fact that he's having to, he's having trouble with this, um, you know, it suggests, to, well, I mean, a number of different things that he's obviously probably a difficult client, as one can imagine, um, and that this is, you know, this is a firestorm unlike any we've seen in many a decade, even for seasoned white-collar criminal professor, uh, professional uh, you know, mm-hmm. lawyers. And John Dowd was certainly one of the best. And the fact that he's leaving, you know, I could see a lot of lawyers taking looking at that and saying, if John Dowd's leaving, I'm not stepping into that. Hmm. One of the uh, Apparently, one of the uh, areas of disagreement <laughs> John Dowd had with Donald Trump is whether or not he should uh, testify yeah. in front of or or be deposed by yeah. uh, Robert Mueller. Yeah. What would your advice be? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> just flat out. Just right? don't. I mean, I just and this this is not this is a, a common problem with you know on the white collar big time you know, prosecutions or investigations like this. There's the public relations angle and the political angle, which you know is what Donald Trump is looking at. And there's the legal angle. And from the legal angle, it's almost always don't talk. There's almost nothing that can almost nothing good can come out of that, and it's also a common problem with high-profile uh, defendants who are uh, believe that they can talk their way out of anything, hmm. and then they get in front of a grand jury or they get in front of a federal. And prosecutor. that's Donald Trump, isn't oh, it? Oh, right, and they get in front of a federal prosecutor Classic. and they get tied in knots, and um, and they end up with a with a you know with a perjury charge essentially or lying to a federal investigator, so. I, I think it's a legal matter. It's not a close call. He doesn't talk. So on the legal matter and on the public relations matter, it'll look bad. Pardon me, but you say, well, so what? That'll, yeah. that'll go away eventually, and at least you're not in legal trouble that way. Right. right. I mean, I think as a lawyer, that's you're not you got to not, and that's that's a common tension. But you've got to not look at the public relations angle. Do you want to stay out of jail, or do you want to look good in front of the cameras? Which is it? You know. Well. Um, then, uh, so I I understand that advice, but can you, can a president, can anybody just refuse to testify, refuse to to meet with the pr- prosecutor? Well, for mere mortals, normally uh, hasn't. Go ahead. Normally, sorry. no. Yeah, I mean, if right. you are certainly if you are subpoenaed, you know, mm-hmm. by, to come in front of the grand jury, you can you cannot you can't refuse that. Um, I think the president's it's a diff, it's a different legal matter as to whether or not he can be compelled to do it. But wasn't uh, that decided with Bill Clinton and Paula Jones? Well, those were civil matters, so that was different. Um, but that yes, to get to the non-disclosure angle here, absolutely, um, it was it's been decided that at least in those circumstances, a president, even though you're a sitting president, you can't duck legal process. Uh, does that mean that you can decline a voluntary invitation, which is what this is from Mueller right now? Right? He hasn't. He's not talking about compelling Donald Trump. He's like, hey, I'd like to talk to him. Yeah, right. He's, anybody could be free under that circumstance to say, you know what? I decline your polite invitation. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, yeah. 
I know we'd have a good time, but right, you know. we love to chat over coffee. But right. you're going to have a couple agents in there taking notes, and yeah, I'm not interested. And I'm so busy, right? Right. I, got, I, uh, tweets, yeah, I just happened to have a out. tea time that day, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> what, whatever day it happens to be. Yeah. Um, so, um, how do you see the Stormy Daniels thing playing out? Wow, I mean, who knows, right? It's a fascinating. It doesn't issue. seem to be going away. Yeah, it's, it's not going away, right? It's, it's I mean, not, yeah. And th- this is an interesting point too. Do you about, know Avenatti? No, I don't know. Him. Yeah, he seems to be a fantastic lawyer, but I don't know anything about him other than what I've seen on TV and read about him. I mean, he certainly is is putting on the full, full court press in a very effective way. I mean, this is like an NDA matter, an undispute, an undisparagement agreement matter, like you would on steroids. Like this is not usually how they how they play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting play here by the by by well, formally we'll see if Michael Cohen continues to handle it, but to move it to federal court to try to get it put back in arbitration, which is another issue that comes up with the you know NDAs, is a lot of times women and mostly women, um, they can't even get their case heard. I mean, they get, they get sent to, to arbitration where it's essentially silent, nobody hears about it, and you know, that's what they're trying to do in this case. That's what Trump's lawyers are trying yeah, they want, to do. Yeah, they want, that's one of the reasons the court is they like, look, we've got this arbitration agreement in our contract. We want it enforced. And, and again, for cases involving mere mortals, nine times out of ten, a federal, this is not a close question. Like a federal judge will say, there's an arbitration provision. I'm sending you to arbitration, and then the cameras go away. There's it's not public, right? I mean, it's right. It is literally swept under the rug, right? So, but what I don't understand about this is I went back. Um, Peter, help me out. I forget the name of the site that originally published her story, um, like five years ago, right mm-hmm. after right after the affair ended. I yeah. think. Um, I, I forget now, but it was out there. But I forget where yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, I just went online and went back, and there it was. So in a sense, she's already told her story. Yeah, I mean, in excruciating detail, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think that is probably what. what so w- what's the point, right? Yeah, I, I, and I think that is what what Trump's lawyers were trying to do for a long time was trying to ignore it, which is frankly a good thing to do, right? Yeah, because yeah, it's only yeah. giving it more attention if they opposed it, which is why you, I think, why you saw the president not even, who was not shy about commenting on things, not talk about this at all uh, for a long time. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think that I he think still hasn't right. for Stormy Daniels. He's been pretty. I, I don't think he's right. tweeted at all. Yeah, about and, but they just can't make this go away. It yeah. keep, continues to become a news story, and so they are they are forced now to comment on it. But I think you're right. I think in most instances, uh, it doesn't make sense for the defendant to to even contest it at a point, right? I mean, the, the because what they want is for this to be silent, and if they are commenting on the fact about how it's not silent, it only gives it more, you know, the, the fire more oxygen. But it does seem that with Avenatti and with Stormy Daniels that Trump has kind of met his match in terms of somebody using the media to, yeah. In fact, that's a good question. As as an attorney, how important, it, you, you've got a case, how important, <clears throat> do, do, do you see the use of the media at all as a, a tool, as a factor in your handling a case? In most cases, no, just because the media is not showing up at my doorstep for most cases. Yeah, right. Um, so it's not really an angle that's available to play. Uh, it, you know, when there's a lot of press attention, it can be used to either party's advantage. But I think most lawyers, I would, I mean, I would not, most lawyers, I think, are ill-equipped to, to do that. You know, you throw yourself out there, you're not sure which way the arrows are going to come and how the story's going to play. So 
The short answer is yes, it can be a big advantage, and the, St- the Stormy Daniels uh, is certainly using it to her advantage. I mean, this is a, uh, this is a case where the PR angle is probably the primary angle here yeah. for her. Right. Uh, and they're us- using it in an expert way. Uh, for most cases, the, the press is not showing up to talk about them. All right, so uh, this is just one front. You got Stormy Daniels. There's also this woman, Karen McDougal, former Playboy model, who mm-hmm. is uh, trying to get, I think, out of her non-disclosure agreement as yeah, well. Yeah. And and is that similar to a Stormy Downs case, or where is that? Or did he sign that one, or do you know? We haven't heard much about that. Yeah, one. that's a, that. I think that one's a little different um, because she is claiming that she did not get the benefit of the bargain. It wasn't that it was it wasn't the signature issue. Got more money, I think, hundred and fifty thousand from the National Enquirer publisher. Right, and she's right. saying like my understanding was that I was going to get these writing gigs, and oh, this part oh, of it didn't happen, yeah. so therefore they breached it. Um, you know, and, and it, it just hasn't caught on the way Stormy Daniels' lawsuit right. has. Um, I'm not sure why. Maybe because, you know, she gave the interview where, you know, I, I, her beef seems to be not that I was it, – it's it's not as salacious. It's not in some ways, right, because she's like, well, I was in love with him, and, you know, I just wanted a better deal, essentially. And Stormy Daniels is like, you know, she's coming head on to him yeah. and saying this is – you know, I want out completely. I want to be able to tell my story. So I think that's why we haven't heard much about it. All right, so then mm-hmm. you've got also Summer Zervos yes. in the New York Supreme Court, Absolutely. former apprentice uh, player, whatever, yeah. uh, and uh, who's suing for sexual harassment in a case at the New York Superior Court, in this New York Supreme Court, where the judge has said this case can go forward. Yeah. These are fascinating um, kind of chinks in the armor uh, because we also got the Bill O'Reilly case, right? Which he, he there's a, a case in the, the Southern District of Illinois. Was that right? No, no, no. It's uh, it's in New York where similarly his non-disparagement agreements are being challenged. And so we're seeing this play out in a number of high-profile cases where where plaintiffs are using defamation, which is what you mm-hmm. know Stormy Daniels is using. Uh, I mean what Summer uh, Zervis is, is, is using to, and, and Paula Jones used. To very effective, well, Paul James was slightly different, but these plaintiffs are using as, in a very effective way to to bring very powerful men before the courts, which is which is it's a sort of heartening to see some of our institutions actually work, mm-hmm. right? Where these courts have said, uh, in the case, uh, you know, President um, uh, Trump with 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 um, with with Zervos is like, no, this case is going forward just because you're the president, just like Bill Clinton couldn't shut this down, you're going to have to sit for this deposition. Um, and and the same thing is happening with Bill O'Reilly in the in the Southern District, where they have brought defamation claims against him, and and so you've seen these powerful men or people who represent them get in trouble by trying to have their cake and eat it too, right? Because they had the non-disparagement agreements, they're like, hey, we're not going to talk about this, but then they turn around and say these women were lying, yeah. which gave them gave them the open to come around and say, well, that's you guys, you can't have it both ways, mm-hmm. right? So now we're going to sue you for defamation, right? So if you add that up, right. Uh, Stormy Daniels, Karen McDougal, Summer Zervos, and then Robert Mueller on top of it. This presence in a lot of legal jeopardy. It's a toxic brew. It really is for him. He's got to fight this battle on multiple fronts with multiple legal issues in multiple courts. uh, And there's no obvious way for him to to shut any of them down. So uh, it really is a... As a lawyer watching this, it it is just fascinating to see. Um, I mean, this is a a law school exam like no law school professor could ever dream up, I think. 
And he's facing it all at the present time without an attorney. Right. Well, he's got attorneys, but he right, certainly, yeah, yeah, he certainly does not have the kind of He doesn't have a lead team, attorney yes. dealing with the Mueller stuff, for yeah, sure, yeah, which he that was John Dowd's job. Exactly. He doesn't have the kind of white-collar criminal defense team one would expect to see with this level of uh, uh, of legal jeopardy. Can Michael Cohen continue to be his personal attorney now that he himself is under the gun? I don't see how. I don't see how he can. I think he's conflicted out of this, and he's got he's got his own battles to fight now. Um, I think it'll be very difficult for him to effectively do that. Remember, Donald Trump tweeted this morning. Oh yeah, that attorney-client privilege is yeah. dead. Right. That's his tweet this morning. Attorney-client right. privilege uh, is, is, is dead. Is that your conclusion from what happened yesterday? No, not at all. I mean, this. It, while I think prosecutors are, uh, and certainly the courts are, are very protective of attorney-client privilege. It is a it is a very powerful legal right that we have in this country. But there is the, well, there are two issues. Um, one, not every time you talk to a lawyer is it attorney-client privilege, right? If you and I are talking about mm-hmm. baseball or whatever it is, that, that's not attorney-client privilege. If, if, if it is not for the purpose of legal advice, it's not attorney-client privilege. If there are other people involved who are not there as part of the representation, you know, you share it on Twitter, you share it on, you know, on email, uh, then you can waive attorney-client privilege. And then there's this crime-fraud exception, which you can't hide behind attorney-client privilege if you are both trying to, uh, you know, endeavoring to commit a crime. So it's far from dead, but these are very well-established exceptions to the attorney-client privilege or just even the parameters of when it exists and when it doesn't. And these, th- these questions come up quite frequently, um, you know, particularly when you've got an attorney who is serving multiple roles for an individual or a company, is when is he acting as an attorney providing a legal advice such that the attorney-client shield is up? Yeah, I, I, this... don't, I don't think Michael Cohen is the first attorney in the history of history oh. to be arrested for uh, covering up for one of his clients. Yeah, no. In this case, he hasn't been arrested yet. Sure, 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 sure. Fair, but, fair. But, um, yeah, that, that was the first defense that we heard from his attorney. This is a violation. How can they go in? I mean, there is an attorney-client proof. They can't go in and seize these documents. And then Donald Trump echoing that this morning. But clearly the U.S. attorney in New York and Rod Rosenstein and Robert Mueller and everybody else know about attorney-client privilege. And if they did this, they did it in a way that right. yeah. oh, I mean, it's, assume a, would uh, not violate attorney-client absolutely. privilege. And, and it's no question of authority legal issue for them. And I don't know if this is happening here. I would assume so. But traditionally the way this is handled uh, by the U.S. Attorney's Offices and Federal Prosec- uh, FBI is that there are two separate teams, right? So the team who collects the information and grabs it all yeah. is not the one who's in- involved in prosecuting. And then they will have another team called what's called a taint team, right? And that team will come through, and they'll their whole job is to look through this information and say, What's, a ter- what's arguably attorney-client privilege and what is not? Mm-hmm. And they will only share the when information that is that is not attorney-client privilege or in which there are the crime, which you know, or, or other exceptions. They'll only share that information with the prosecuting team. So there's a there is, you know, and I'm sure there, there is a shield between the raw information and what the prosecuting team actually sees. Right. Uh, final question. I've got to let you go, but. Sure. Uh, so we said earlier that Robert Mueller gets this information. He prefers to U.S. attorney. U.S. attorney says this is serious enough. He goes into this. So related, coming from perhaps a Mueller investigation, but like separate from. But is it also possible that Michael Cohen could be the bridge between Stormy Daniels and the Russian investigation? Oh, it's entirely possible. I mean, now that... that, that maybe na- they're not unrelated. Yeah. Well, but now how that, do we know, right? right? 
you know, depending on what they got in their raid, if they discover other material, um, then absolutely it could provide a, you know, it could provide another channel back to Robert Mueller uh, that could relate to the Russian investigation. So right. we'll see, but it's entirely possible. I think you better check your messages because I know that, you know, the Ronald, Donald Trump has gone down the list <laughs> looking, for, <laughs> looking for a good lawyer. He's going to get to the S's. <laughs> I know, right? Sure he's he's going to wake up. I'll let you know when he calls. <laughs> <laughs> Come back in if he calls. All right? Absolutely. Uh, people can reach you at SpiegelLaw.com, right? That's right. Spiegel yeah. Law. It's S-P-I-G-G-L-E Law.com. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, yeah. thanks so much for thanks coming Thanks for having out. me on. Well, good luck. Good luck. We'll be right back. And wrap things up here on a Tuesday, April 10. Live video, Phil's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Tuesday, Tuesday, October, October, holy hell. Feels April. Like it. it does feel Feels like, like it. By the way, like yeah, a little cold and so. No wonder I got confused. Here. I get it. It's Tuesday, April 10. Hello, everybody. Great to see you, the Bill Press Show winding up here on a uh, Tuesday. And uh, lots and lots going on. It's one of those days where we thought it was going to be a relatively quiet day. We'd be talking about Mark Zuckerberg all day because this is his big day in front of the Senate Commerce and Judiciary Committee. There are going to be 45 senators, by the way, on the panel today, uh, the co- combining those two committees. Uh, it's 45 to 1. Uh, and we'll be watching that, but we've ended up uh, talking a lot more about what happened up in New York yesterday morning with the FBI raiding the home office and hotel room of Donald Trump's personal tor- attorney. And we're talking about that from our studio here on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Gerard, the Honorable Leo Gerard, represent- leading the United Steelworkers North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. They do great work uh, protecting the steel industry, rebuilding the st- America's steel industry. Check out their website at usw.org. Uh, with all the news about um, um, Michael Cohen and Donald Trump, a lot of Twitter comments. Peter? Yes, indeed. We got comments. Uh, remember, you can find us on Twitter at B. Show. Uh, Miles says you can expect Trump to make the military strike on Syria much bigger than it would have been. It's all a distraction to uh, distract the media away from the FBI and Michael Cohen. That's a scary thought, but I, I certainly. I, I was thinking about that him. this morning. Yeah. The one way to get Michael Cohen off the front page, yeah, would be some massive military strike in Syria. Uh, remember, we're also we also have our chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Lots of good comments there. Something spectacular is the name of uh, this user who says part of the gamble. Uh, the bigger the risk, the bigger the gain. Lawyers go down all the time, which yeah, it, it's that's a real thing. Uh, and if you uh, need another endorsement of how good our live chat room is, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Daniel says this live chat is already three orders of magnitude more cohesive than our Congress. <laughs> it's not really, uh, uh, that's not really a low saying bar. much. That's a low uh, bar. This shall be yes. the fulcrum on which the resting lever uh, will move the world. Oh, very yeah. nice. How about that? Yeah. So like get involved, that. get involved. Give us your comments either on Twitter at BP Show, uh, on Facebook, of course, Bill Press Show, or uh, in the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Um, so apropos of nothing, yeah. uh, but just throwing it out there because sure. other things catch our attention. I read the story yesterday about this um, 
uh, veteran, the, uh, the own, I think, the last living veteran of World War II. He's like oh wow, 111 years old. Holy cow. Maybe that's World War One. I. I don't know. But anyway, he's 111 years <laughs> right. old. He's like, he's one, certainly the oldest American men on the uh, people on the planet. Um, and the, so this morning online during the break, I just saw that uh, the answer to his long life. Uh-huh. Oh, how, how did he live to, to yeah. get to 100? He likes soaking in hot springs. Okay. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a great thing to do. Uh, eating sweets. Hell yeah. And he smokes 12 yes. cigars yes. a day. 12 cigars a day? 12 cigars a day. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. So I mean, uh, a doctor will tell you that that's way too many. <laughs> but if this guy's lived into, to be 111. Here it is. A 111-year-old veteran smokes 12 daily cigars. Yeah. That's a lot of cigars. 111 is a lot of years. I, I know. I mean, who am I to say that's a bad idea? <laughs> right. So... <laughs> There you go. We're not suggesting that you follow his. Uh, I've been smoked twelve cigars in my entire life. <laughs> no, I haven't either. <laughs> twelve a day, and I couldn't. And God. you know what? I get sick. I feel sick even thinking about that. Seriously, right? man. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 borderline too much. Is what is what my gut tells me. But again, what do I know? All right. Yeah. On the uh, big story of the day. Hey, uh, while we're uh, taking time out here, uh, let me give you another. Quick reminder, number seven on the bestseller list on the Washington Post. Hell it yeah. is, da-da-da-da, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire, my new book. Very proud of that uh, and love to share it with you. Go to, uh, it's it's really a lot of fun. Oh, the whole kind of a romp through my life so far, I call it the memoir part one. Uh, go to our website at BillPressShow.com if you haven't already done so, and you can find out uh, a lot more about it and join Bernie Sanders and other good friends with their endorsement uh, of the book. As Bernie says, it's the tale of an enraged and often outraged citizen who loves his country and wants to see it, see it move forward in a progressive direction. Thank you, Bernie. That kind of sums it up. BillPressShow.com. You'll find out more about it there. Yes, uh, this the, the big story which broke, it happened early yesterday morning, didn't break until later yesterday afternoon because of the secrecy involved. Uh, but the news is, if you haven't caught up with it already, that the Department of Justice, the FBI, through the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, uh, in Manhattan, raided the home, the office, and the hotel room of Donald Trump's personal attorney, uh, attorney the one and only Michael Cohen, who has been, he's his very close buddy, very close friend. He and Donald Trump and Melania, First Lady, have dinner often, hang out often. Uh, he's been he's represented Donald Trump for a long time. So people who say that he's a difficult client and he, he must be, but Michael Cohen and he get along. Uh, so be, when he was a developer, he had his all of his business attorneys, but Michael Cohen was his personal attorney uh, before the campaign, during the campaign, and continues to do so at the White House while he's a president. And it was Michael Cohen, of course, who made this, arranged this $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels, a non-disclosure agreement for her to keep quiet about this alleged affair she had, alleged BS, affair she had with Donald Trump from 2006 into 2007, uh, $130,000, which, remember, Michael Cohen says he paid out of his own pocket, 
taking advantage of a line of credit he had for his home mortgage, uh, and he did it only because he loved Donald Trump so much he wanted to help a friend, and he never told Donald Trump about it, and Donald Trump never insists he never knew anything about it. That's the guy that the FBI raided uh, yesterday morning. Um, This is huge, huge, huge news and very, very damaging to Donald Trump and very dangerous for Donald Trump because follow the people that the FBI now has gone after either through Robert Mueller or now through the U.S. Attorney in New York, right? Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's national security advisor, Paul Manafort, his campaign manager, Rick Gates, his deputy campaign manager, uh, then all the rest who are maybe farther down the scale, uh, and now Michael Cohen, who's really the number one because he's closer to Donald Trump than any of the others were. He's worked for him so long, and he's representing him as an attorney, so he knows all the secrets. Michael Cohen, the the president's personal attorney. as our last guest, Tom Spiegel, uh, and others, other legal experts have said, Jeff Tubin on CNN and others, that there's no way this would have happened unless the FBI had compelling evidence that there was criminal activity on the part of Michael Cohen. They're saying it could either be bank fraud or wire fraud or um, a campaign finance violation, meaning this $130,000 payment was made 11 days before the election of 2016, uh, perhaps to influence the outcome of the election, and yet was not reported as a campaign contribution. That's against the law. Well, by the way, that that, that particular issue is something we've talked about for weeks now since the yeah. Stormy Daniels story sort of yeah. became right. front of mind. There is no good outcome for Michael Cohen in this. He either conspired with Donald Trump to cover up this story and to try and buy her silence or, or d- didn't tell his client. If you take him at his word that he just did it on his own, that's a violation of campaign finance laws. It just is. Yeah. So one so, way or the other, he done screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's in trouble. And the other possibility is uh, it, this could be a bridge between who knows, right? What the money, where the money was going. This could be a bridge between. Stormy Daniels, and the Russian investigation, uh, if there is one. Michael Cohen certainly involved in both. And by the way, let's just throw this in right now. On top of this, before the story broke about yesterday morning's raid, the big Robert Mueller-related story uh, reported by the New York Times is that Mueller is investigating a $150,000 contribution made by a Ukrainian billionaire, Viktor Pinchuk, to the Trump Foundation in October 2015 during the presidential campaign. Uh, Donald Trump had already had already announced he wasn't yet the nominee, of course. Uh, and what was this $150,000 used for? Where did it come from? And what are they doing, doing taking money, foreign money, from this Ukrainian billionaire who is very well-connected, known to be well-connected to Vladimir Putin and to the, and to the Kremlin? So... On, you got all of that landing uh, at at the same time again. Possible connection with the with the Russian investigation. It caused a firestorm yesterday um, at the at the White House because suddenly uh, Donald Trump, who wanted to talk about Syria, who was hoping this Mueller investigation was about to shut down. That's what they keep telling us. Well, it's winding down. 
There's nothing left. They haven't found any collusion. It's all over. So why don't they just fold their tent? Why don't they just shut it down? I remember um wasn't that long ago that John Dowd, who later resigned, said publicly Robert Mueller should just shut the investigation down because they're finding nothing. There's nothing there. Uh, after yesterday, there's no this just disproves that whole theory. This thing is in full gear. It is going full speed, and it is getting closer and closer to Donald Trump himself to the Oval Office. So when this hits yesterday, for Donald Trump. It was, oh man, it was not just an attack on him, it's an attack on the entire country. It's frankly a real disgrace. It's a, an attack on our country in a true sense. It's an attack on what we all stand for. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. That's funny. I thought we all stood for obeying the law. We all stood for, you know, our, syst- our system of justice, that no man's above the law. That's you know, a response I thought that's that, what we stood for. That, that's a response that only Trump could give. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's uh, so perfectly Trump. We've always said that that, that he is the Louis Catorce, right? He right. is l'état c'est moi. <laughs> okay. So an attack on me is an attack on our entire country and everything we all stand for. Crazy. Uh, totally uh, crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally normal uh, brain. Right. That totally normal uh, brain. And, of course, he throws out the old word that he has used for uh, uh, for uh, the, the Mueller investigation from day one. I think it's uh, disgraceful, and so does a lot of other people. This uh-huh. is a pure and simple witch hunt. Oh, yeah. Witch hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and those people, yeah, uh, those people who are, uh, who are conducting this investigation— uh, they're all Democrats, and they're all biased. Biased group of people. These people have the biggest conflicts of interest I've ever seen. Yeah, he actually said uh, they were all Democrats, or just about all. Either Democrats, he said, or a couple of Republicans that work for President Obama. And then, and then he, his, he, his, he goes back to a uh, uh, favorite target. He said they're not looking at the other side. They're not looking at the Hillary Clinton. Horrible things that she did. And all of the crimes that were committed by her. Oh, yeah. He, how, how often has he said, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Look at Hillary Clinton. Look you at know, those emails. Guess what, dude? They did look at Hillary Clinton it, and her emails. It, it's sort of amazing to watch this happen in real time because you're starting to see how some of, yes, Trump's crackpot conspiracy theories get born, but also how some conspiracy theories get born just on the right. You know, because the, it's anything but facing the facts. So, as, as you mentioned, right, he brings up Hillary Clinton. He brings up the fact that the FBI is biased and how there are a lot of Democrats on Robert Mueller's team. Ray was saying that on Twitter there are conservatives who are saying that uh, that the FBI and Robert Mueller's team started the fire in Trump Tower that we talked about mm. yesterday so that they can mm. get in there and plant evidence, right? And so it's kind of like... They keep throwing these things up against the wall to see what will stick because it's anything yeah. but the truth. Yeah, right. Actually, if you ta- it's sort of like the birther theory. If you take that um, conspiracy, it was the um, Democrats who actually organized so that there would not be sprinklers in the building. Right, right, right. So that right. 12 years later, they could start a fire 
But, you know, I mean, oh, damn. They're on to us. They yeah, finally figured God, out they our grand <laughs> plot to take God. him down. Right. Um, but no matter what excuses that, that they can use for this, this is th- this is very, very s- serious for the president of the United States. Uh, and, of course, he has to find somebody to blame. And so blaming the FBI, again, calling them all biased. But, you know, who gets the number one blame? <sighs> Gosh, poor little Jeffy Sessions. Yeah, um, he has to go out after his attorney general. Uh, no matter how many times Jeff Sessions just, yes, Mr. President, yes, Mr. President. Yeah, you like a cup of coffee? Yes, Mr. President. He does everything he can. Particularly, like, what? think of the, about the stuff that Jeff Sessions has done, right? I mean, he rolled back all the police community relations stuff. He has rolled back the rules on marijuana. He has sued California three times, right? He's doing everything he can to um, to, to uh, deport as many people as he can. I mean, he's doing everything he can, but he recused himself from the Russian investigation. And for that, Donald Trump, no matter how hard Jeff Sessions tried to save his job, Donald Trump will never forgive him. So yesterday, he points the finger at blame. Yep. Who's number one? Jeff Sessions. They raid an office of a personal attorney early in the morning. Uh, and I think it's a disgrace. So we'll be talking about it more. But this is the most conflicted group of people I've ever seen. Uh, the attorney general made a terrible mistake. <laughs> the attorney general, there it is. Number one, Jeff Sessions. Why did he make What mistake did he make? He made a mistake in recusing himself. That Donald Trump has never forgiven, will never forgive, because with that, Jeff Sessions couldn't stop this raid yesterday, or if, as if he would have. Uh, and Ron Ro- Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, now overseeing the Russian investigation, is the one who gave the green light again, Donald Trump. He should have certainly let us know if he was going to recuse himself. And we would have used a, put a different attorney general in. So he made what I consider to be a very terrible mistake for the country. So still today, he said he wishes he had a different attorney general. Yeah. I mean, he he has some control over that. He could fire Jeff Sessions. Sure, you know he's he sort could. of he's threatened to do. People thought that he might. People thought for a while that Jeff Sessions might resign. He'd never he'd never resign. He has always wanted to be Attorney General, and now he is Attorney General, and he'll take he'll take all the abuse, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, as long as he can. Yeah, totally. As long as Don Trump will let him stay there. Yeah, no, he's not going anywhere. He's not going to go anywhere. Unless Donald Trump fires him. Right. Uh, and speaking of firing people, well, there's one other person that Donald Trump has wanted to fire for a long time. And, of course, the speculation started yesterday once this raid became public that this might be it. This might be what would drive Donald Trump to fire the special counsel in in his Richard Nixon, pardon me, in his Richard Nixon moment, a reporter asked him, as he was leaving the room, uh, as the reporters were being herded out, you hear the reporter ask the question, barely hear him, but Donald Trump picks up the question, fire Robert Mueller, here he is. Why don't I just fire Mueller? Well, I think it's a disgrace what's going on. We'll see what happens. But I think it's really a sad situation when you look at what happened. And many people have said you should fire him. Many people have said, yes, like Lou Dobbs last night on Fox News said, fire that SOB. Uh, we'll see what happens. There is his vote of confidence in uh, 
in Robert Mueller. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Mueller, if, if Trump does it. He I, he can't fire him directly. We know that. Right. He'd have to ask Rod Rosenstein to fire him. Rosenstein would say no. So Donald Trump would, like Richard Nixon, keep appointing people who would say no until he found somebody who would say yes and fire him. Donald Trump will 100% try and fire Don't you Robert think Mueller. so? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, if, if for nothing else, right, it's because Donald Trump is a micromanager control freak and and that he wants to, like, he can't stand the fact that somebody holds his fate in his hands. Yeah. Like Robert Mueller does. Uh, and let me tell you, if he turns on Fox News, and that's where he gets his advice, not from John Kelly or anybody else, he will see Fox and Friends, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Lou Dobbs, all of them will say, fire Robert Mueller. I'll bet you he does it. And if he does it, these chicken, you know what, Republicans in Congress, they may squawk and scream, but they won't do anything about it. Oh, man. So uh, Mark Zuckerberg in front of the uh, Senate Commerce and Judiciary Committee today. We'll see how that goes. And we'll wrap it up tomorrow. So have a great day. Come back and see us tomorrow because we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.